we have reached the end of 2 Timothy. Uh, not the book, but just our series, series in it. Um, but cool. Thanks for being here tonight. And uh, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. And um, so I went back and I, and I looked at the very first message, the way that we opened this up. And, and uh, at the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, we talked about Paul's legacy um, and how Paul had a lasting legacy and how we want to have a lasting legacy. And um, I thought a little bit about, about who Paul started out to be. Uh, he started out as a Pharisee. And uh, the legacy that the, Pharise- that the Pharisees left was not a good one, um, if you're familiar with them in the Gospels. And um, we know that, I mean, Paul, Paul overcame that. He didn't, you know, he wasn't uh, constrained to the legacy of the Pharisees, but man, he was obedient um, to the Lord and he overcame that. And we know that we live in the Laodicean church age and um, that the legacy that the Laodicean church age is going to leave is not a good one. Um, it's pretty much a legacy of failure. Um, to do what the Lord asks. But, man, if we're obedient to the Lord, that doesn't have to be any of us. We, don't, we can be overcomers, um, as Revelation 3 tells us that talks about that time period. Um, and, and I really hope that this series will leave a legacy in your life for the better. Um, we've heard from quite a few guys this summer. Uh, it'll be 13, including me tonight. Um, and for some of, some of you, it was your first time getting to preach, and I'm sure you're going to remember it, and that's awesome. Um, and I hope that, that everybody's been able to take some things away from this series um, and from our small group discussion together as well. So like I said, we're going to finish chapter 2 tonight. So starting at verses 24, we'll go to the end. It says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Let's go before the Lord and ask him to teach us. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Um, Thank you so much uh, for your love and mercy toward us. And um, of course, for doing what you did on the cross for us uh, and and rising again from the grave the third day um, to give us eternal life. And we're so grateful for that. Um, We're so grateful that you even want to use us. Um, We just make things messier for you, but you choose to use us anyway. And we're grateful for that. And we pray that we could live lives that are pleasing to you. I pray that your spirit would be our teacher tonight. In your name we pray, amen. So before we really dive into the direction that Paul is giving here in our passage, I first think it's important to take some time out to look at who he's actually talking to. And this is really important because as you can see, we're going to look at, at Paul, what Paul says to do with the intent of applying it to our lives, right? So we should first notice who he's talking to. And so this is your first point. It's be a servant of the Lord. And of course, this is from verse 24. It says, and the servant of the Lord and then it goes on to give him direction. And so while it's very simple, it's worth not glossing over. If we intend to do the things Paul tells us to do, we should start by making sure that we're the right person for the job. Paul is addressing a servant of the Lord in these verses. So then, who is a servant of the Lord? I mean, generally, I know we would just say, well, anybody that serves him, right? Um, but, but more specifically, I guess what I mean is, in Scripture, who is labeled as the servant of the Lord? So I did a, a word study on exactly that phrase, the exact phrase, the servant of the Lord in Scripture. And to my surprise, the answer was, was very clear. I was expecting there to be a lot of references, but there were only 20. And 17 of them are about Moses. One of those references is here in our passage, and the other two are about Joshua. 
It's very clear who the servant of the Lord is in Scripture. It's Moses. Deuteronomy 34, 5 says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. So Moses is the servant identified here. And there's 16 other references that, that say this too. This is the one where Moses is on top of the mountain looking at the promised land before he, he dies. And you know, while we read through a letter written to a young pastor from an experienced pastor to encourage him to stir up the gift of God that was in him by in the laying on of my hands, man, as we read through a letter like that, is there any doubt who the servant of the Lord is here? It's a pastor. And so with Moses, right before he dies, we see his pastoral concern for the people that he's leading. He knows that they need a a leader. So look how he phrases it in Numbers 27. Uh, He says, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord, here it is, be not as sheep which have no shepherd. So when Moses dies, man, he, he knows I've been leading these people. I've been their shepherd. When, when I die, they need one. They're going to need somebody. So here's what he does. So he, you know, he, addresses, he brings his concern before the Lord, and the Lord tells him, hey, it's Joshua. So in Numbers 27, 18, we see that Moses lays his hands upon Joshua. And so that's cool because, like I already sort of made a reference to, we saw that Timothy got his leadership responsibility from Paul's laying on of hands of him. The second week in our series, uh, we saw that. Bryce covered that. In 2 Timothy 1, 6, it says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee, here it is, by the putting on of my hands. So with Moses, man, it only makes sense that Joshua would then be the other person that gets this title in Scripture after Moses lays his hands on him. So very clearly, I believe God's establishing Moses as a picture uh, in his leadership of Israel for us tonight. And he's pointing to him as an example for us in this passage. So think of the story of Moses and all the things that he did, from answering the call of God on his life, to leading the nation of Israel through the Red Sea, to raising up the brass serpent on the pole, uh, providing water for them through the rock. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the Levitical law, the instructions for the tabernacle, and on and on. In all of those things that Moses did for the nation of Israel, in all the ways that he served them, who was Moses? He was the servant of the Lord. And that's kind of like a pastor. A pastor serves the church and leads them spiritually where they need to go. But in so doing, a pastor is a servant of the Lord first and foremost. Plus, this person is the person that stands in stark contrast to all the people that we've seen in this letter so far that have been bad examples. Uh, Man, you don't follow heretics, you follow your pastor. And it's your pastor that addresses those heretics. And so now, I do feel the need to say that every picture has its limitations. Um, It's just a picture, and we've seen previously in 2 Timothy 2.15 that we need to study God's word to know how to divide it rightly, correct? So, you know, don't get too carried away with this picture because the nation of Israel is almost never a picture of the church, but more consistently is a picture of the individual believer all through the, whole, the Old Testament. Uh, you can take that to the bank. You know, even though we can learn some excellent pastoral elements from Moses' leadership, um, but remember that the nation of Israel as a whole in Exodus 4.22 is called God's son. And who, who is the son of God today? Well, we get that label. You know, I, yeah, we make up the church, but the church is the bride of Christ, not the son of God. We are sons of God. 
And so individually, man, the, the nation of Israel is a better picture of us as individuals. Um, where many people go wrong today is they think the nation of Israel is replaced by the church of God, also known as replacement theology, and they get all messed up, uh, even in, in scriptures today. Um, and it's because they totally miss the limitations of that picture or the right division of it, uh, if you will, that God sets up in Acts 7.37 where he tells you it only applies in the wilderness. So, whereas we can see the picture concerning the individual believer stands consistent all throughout the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. So, um, Israel's story really is the story of the Christian's growth. So, I, I feel like I just needed to be clear with that. But our focus is on, on Moses tonight, not Israel anyway. So, again, while I believe Paul is put it, pointing to the servant of the Lord in our passage tonight as being a pastor, I think Moses is our primary example. But it doesn't have to be limited to that. Most of us in this room will probably never hold the office of a pastor, although I hope some of us will. However, if you're in this room and you're saved, you do have a pastoral calling on your life tonight. We, we sort of mentioned this a couple Sundays ago, if you were with us, when we talked about John 17. Uh, who is a servant of the Lord? Well, servant of the Lord does the work of the Lord, right? And that's what we talked about in John 17. We're talking about the work of the Lord. Well, what is that? It's discipleship. A discipleship when a more mature believer is followed by a less mature believer in Christ and he teaches them how to follow the Lord. So on some level, that discipler shepherds or pastors, in a sense, his disciple. And so a discipler really operates like a pastor in many ways and that's going to be where our primary applications are going to reside tonight. So with discipleship in mind, then let me ask you, are you a servant of the Lord? Maybe you want to be a pastor someday or maybe you don't. But you should be a, a discipler. So are you discipling someone? Are you keeping that focus uh, in mind while you do it, this focus of being a servant of the Lord, first and foremost? Um, yeah, you should be serving your disciple, but man, just, just as Moses served Israel, but remember Jesus said, whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. Um, of course he said that, but your, your focus and your vision for that relationship need to be on God and his glory through that relationship. You serve him first. So maybe you're not discipling somebody. Well, I guess I would ask you why not. You know, maybe you're in a period of growth. Well, that, you should be. That's awesome. And so are you involved then in pursuing your own growth and development um, to that end? Uh, you know, we've got, after, after discipleship, we've got further classes in MTT. You know, you should take those if you've got opportunity. Um, and, it, and if you haven't been discipled, you should start there. Uh, as Israel followed Moses, as the disciples followed Christ, as Timothy followed Paul, man, we should be following a more mature believer in, in our walk with Christ. And if you're here and you're not tracking with me about being saved or being a disciple or, or having a personal rela- relationship with the Lord, then, then let me encourage you to start there. I mean, you can't be the Lord's servant if you don't know him. And so, you know, the Lord came to this planet Uh, lived a perfect life, and died on a cross to pay your sins. And he rose again from the grave victorious. And he did that for you. And you can have a personal relationship with him tonight. Um, And and so if you want to know more about that, please, um, we would love for you to know more. Please talk to us tonight about that. So now while we've we've laid some of this groundwork, I think we can better understand now the direction that's given further in our passage. So your next point then is the first thing that the servant of the Lord must do or not do, I should say, which is don't strive. And so in verse 24 again, it says, then the servant of the Lord must not strive. 
So obviously, we're going to be talking about strife. Uh, and we've sort of mentioned this the last few weeks already, but the Lord knows that, that we need to hear more. It's an important topic. And I usually don't use dictionary definitions um, of words, although I consult them a lot. Um, but Webster's 1828 had a great definition for this. It says, um, for the, the definition of strife, it's exertion or contention for superiority. Exertion or contention for superiority. Um, and I really like that definition because it still leaves the aspect of if that's positive or negative up to the context. And the Lord uses the word in a negative context like we're seeing tonight. Uh, and he also uses it, uses it in a positive context like we saw a few weeks ago um, in Striving for the Masteries like Cody talked about. But our context here is obviously negative. Look at verse 23 right before our passage. It says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And as you can see, this emphasis is not only negative, man, but it's focused on words and it's focused on truth. And that's been a consistent, consistent battle all throughout both of Paul's letters in First and Second Timothy. Uh, last summer, we, these, so just listen, these aren't your notes, they're not on the screen. Um, last summer, we saw things like First Timothy 4.12 where it says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word. And further in 1 Timothy, we saw that if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words. In this, this summer, in 2 Timothy, we've seen that you need to hold fast to the form of sound words. We saw that the word of God is not bound. Um... Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. Um, Shun profane and vain babblings, for they'll increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, who concerning the truth have erred. Man, all of this strife has been about words and truth. And so from verse 23 again, right into our passage, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. And Paul is guiding Timothy in this direction here because it's in direct contrast with the bad examples that we've seen up to this point. Proverbs 26, 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. And that's kind of what we're going for here. There's a stark contrast between these people and the servant of the Lord, both on the inside and on the outside. The servant of the Lord should never be the author of strife, but that outward strife relates to an inward problem. In Psalm 31, 20, it says, Thou shalt hide them, speaking of people that fear and trust in God, thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Notice this connection with the pride of man and the strife of tongues. And here's the root of the issue. Man, the strife of tongues is born out of pride and desire of position. And so we saw in 1 Timothy 6 last year that these people, that he is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, right? Or in chapter 1, verse 7, desiring to be teachers. These people desire position. This is the pride of life. And so, of course, the servant of the Lord, the pastor, shouldn't have these things in his life. And as disciplers or future disciplers, neither should we. But also, don't lose sight of the bigger picture. As Christians, is our battle with people? Do we strive against people? And our fight, is, our fight is, isn't with flesh and blood, according to Ephesians 5.12. And let me remind you, 2 Corinthians 10.3-4, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's exactly what these people that are striving don't do. And you know what? Even on an outward level, the pastor doesn't need to strive. He's already got the position, right? He's already got the official leadership role given by the laying on of hands, right? And so these, these roles of a pastor, they're in humility and they're in service to the Lord, but to the benefit of others, even to the benefit of those that are striving. Notice down, glimpse down to verse 25 in our passage. says, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Obviously, anytime we go against the Lord and his will for our lives, and that is not in our best interest, right? A sinful life is a dangerous life. And lifting ourselves up in pride against the truth of God's word and against those that he's put in, in authority, that is opposed to our best interest and our, and our well-being. Um, because of the spiritual batters, battles that are taking place, the pastor is going to be surrounded by those that strive. And, you, and we're in the church, we're in those battles too, so we also will and even possibly in our discipleship relationships. Uh, we won't read it for time's sake, but in Numbers 26, Moses is telling a story about, man, when God's people strove against him and against the Lord, oh, and just the earth opened up and swallowed them. I mean, it was uh, pretty crazy. Um, but even in that, even in that situation, God was more merciful, believe it or not, than what he was originally going to do. Moses talked him out of killing them all. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, was used by God to the people's benefit, even when they oppose themselves. The wilderness is full of stories to that end. And it was Moses, of course, by the authority of God, that he was leading those people through it, through the wilderness, and he was showing the way. Because that's what a servant of the Lord does. So it's our responsibility to show the right way, which is your last blank, show the way. And I'm not going to belabor this point. Um, It'll go faster. Uh, So these concepts are pretty... for, uh, pretty straightforward, so I don't think I necessarily need to explain to you what the words mean. Um, but look at verses 24 and, and 25 again from our passage. It says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. So the servant of the Lord needs to be a few things as opposed to striving. And again, keep discipleship in mind as we look at these. So first, the servant of the Lord must be gentle. And with a pastoral mindset of this word gentle, uh, we saw qualifications to this extent when we looked at 1 Timothy 3 last year. Um, is not suppo- a pastor's not supposed to be a brawler and a striker, right? He's supposed to be gentle. But with discipleship in mind, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, it says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. As disciples, we're supposed to love and cherish our spiritual children. How serious does that mean discipleship is going to be? How much effort does that mean we're going to have to put in? It takes it to a whole other level when we understand that, that right picture. And of course, you know, the people that are striving, they're not gentle. Next, apt to teach. And this was verbatim a qualification that we saw last summer. Uh, And it's also in direct opposition to these people that are striving that we see tonight. Uh, These people were desiring to be teachers, right? But they don't understand what they say or what they affirm from 1 Timothy 1.7. So, of course, a pastor and a discipler should be able to teach. So are you growing to that extent? I'm not saying you have to be a pastor or that you have to be, you know, stand up here and and preach. 
Um, but if you're going to be discipled, uh, or, or if you're already being discipled, man, are you going through that material with the mindset of you're going to teach it later? We've come a long way this summer uh, looking at Timothy's mail, his second letter. Uh, we've seen things like Paul's legacy, the gifts of the ministry, not being ashamed of the gospel or its afflictions, holding on to sound words, keeping the proper focus in ministry. We've seen discipleship, uh, enduring hardness as a soldier, striving for the right things, choosing to live and suffer for Christ. We know we need to study God's word, uh, to be wise with our words, and to be vessels of honor. And so now that we've studied all these things, we're responsible for them. Or how about this? At the very least, can you take God's word, and are you apt to teach somebody how to be saved through this book? At the very least, we should be able to do that, right? Everybody should be able to do that. And think about about all the teaching that Moses did to the people. I already alluded to some of it, but man, he gave them the Ten Commandments. He taught them the Ten Commandments, the Levitical law, the pattern of the tabernacle. He certainly was apt to teach, and to teach all of that, he must have been a pretty patient dude. If you've read through Leviticus, uh, there are some pretty crazy details in there. But he was, he was the man for the job because he was patient, which is, which is the next element we see. And so think again about the picture of raising children, that, like I just mentioned. How many times have you heard parents talk about, oh man, we, they just have kids, they're new parents, what, what's the Lord teaching them? He's teaching them patience, right? And man, that's just like discipleship. We're going to have to be patient. But we're willing to be because they're our children and we love them like that, right? I mean, think about Moses. He had to be patient for 40 years as he led them in circles in the wilderness, not even because of his own sin, but because of their own sin. So, and I already mentioned like at least once, maybe twice, he taught God out of killing them all. <laughs> he was super patient. Proverbs fifteen eighteen says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. If you're patient, you're going to be slow to anger, which is also contrary to the people that have been striving. Man, but in doing so, not only are you going to show them the way, man, you might change their attitude. And that's the goal, right? You want to be able to, to instruct them to the right path. And so the next thing we see, the servant of the Lord must be in meekness instructing. And so what is meekness? Meekness is power under control, right? Someone that's meek can still be powerful, it's just controlled. Now, of course, we could reference Jesus as our example, really, for everything, but um, certainly he was meek. But again, thinking about Moses, Numbers 12, 3, who is Moses? Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Moses was very meek indeed. First of all, other than the resurrection of Jesus himself, man, when you think about some of the most powerful miracles in the Bible, where does your mind go? Well, if you're me, it, it goes to the miracles in Exodus uh, with Pharaoh and against Egypt or uh, walking through the Red Sea, all of those things. Those are some seriously powerful miracles that, that Moses got to do. And yet, even in those miracles, he was instructing the nation that opposed themselves at literally almost every turn. That's what he did. He didn't use any miracles against them or anything. Of course not. And we talked about that, so I'm not going to retrace that ground. But look what, one final time with me at the last two verses in our passage. In verse 25, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Why? If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. That's the goal right there. 
The goal is repentance. It's restoration. That's what these striving people need. Last week, we saw that false teachers are to be purged. But really, I mean, in any form of discipline, the goal is always that those people would repent and be restored. And look, there's various levels of heresy and heretics. You know, not everyone's immediately looking to divide the church. Like some people just are immature and need to grow. So circumstances and discernment are going to dictate the proper response. But really, any sin in our lives is in opposition to our real life in Christ, right? We oppose who we really are with any sin that's in our lives. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So as disciples, we need to be people that are willing to shepherd our disciples to become servants of the Lord themselves and restore them back to Scripture, back to being in a right relationship with the Lord where they need to be. Um, or really any brother, all of us in the church, we should all be doing this for each other. And we should be doing it with the spirit of meekness. So by way of conclusion, as I mentioned already, I believe the servant of the Lord in our passage is a direct reference to a pastor, but I hope you caught the main application for tonight through discipleship. A servant of the Lord does his work as a discipler. You gotta keep in mind that you're serving the Lord first and foremost. So there's no reason for you to be striving against men, but rather it's simply your job to show them the way. We don't fight against flesh and blood, right? We're fighting a spiritual battle. And the gospel and the word of God are the answers to that battle. That battle. So I'll leave you uh, with 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the discipleship verse, right? And the things that thou hast heard of us, of all of us in this, in this series, among many witnesses, man, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for this series. We thank you so much that, um, that you've preserved your word for us, that we can read it um, and that it can be beneficial to us and um, that it can guide us to be your servants. Um, I pray that, that as we walk with each other and with you every day, we could look more and more like you. Um, please be with our discussion time tonight um, as we answer some of these questions and, um, and seek to edify each other and to grow together. It's in your name we pray, amen.